All right, well, it is good to be back. Miranda and I had an amazing time across the pond the last few weeks. We saw some incredible sights. We ate so much delicious food. It was an amazing trip. I know Miranda said it already, but thank you so much for everyone who covered while we were gone. I know that many of you stepped up, and I wish that I could have brought back gelato for each of you. But I do promise that I ate a scoop for everybody here this morning. <laughs> Last night, I tried to do a count of how many scoops of gelato I did eat, and I got to nine. I know, but I could only count nine. So that was a lot, but it was all incredible. I would highly suggest trying true Italian gelato one day. But that's not why we're here. <laughs> Once we did get back, we only had one day in blast. And again, well, sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. This isn't why we're here either, but there is a little bit of business I need to take care of before I dig in. Not only did we only have one day in the office before heading to blast, but in that day, many of you received an email from me. As many of you know, there was a fraudulent email sent out using my name and likeness um, requesting you to send them gift cards or to meet discreetly and so on. No, it wasn't me. As many of you reached out, thank you for checking, but no, it wasn't me. Um, if you did happen to buy those gift cards, Pastor Rick has offered to reimburse anybody that money back. So please see him afterwards. All right. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost, right? My first Sunday in full-time ministry was actually on Pentecost, so it has a special anniversary, non-spiritual-like importance to me. But way more important than that, it's a great celebration as we remember the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the earliest members of the Christian church. It's all found in Acts 2, where we read about the great wind, the tongues of fire, and the ability to communicate across so many different languages as Peter gets up and preaches a foundational and powerful sermon to this first church. As Pastor Larry said, Pentecost is treated as the birthday of the church. The first Sunday after Pentecost is traditionally known as Trinity Sunday on the Christian calendar. It's one of the very few special days on this calendar that's designated for one of our faith doctrines, whether an event that took place, like the birth of Christ or Easter. But I think that should communicate how important our view of the Trinity really is. Our Nazarene article of faith puts it this way, We believe in one eternally existent, infinite God, sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, that he only is God, holy in nature, attributes, and purpose. The God who is holy love and light is triune in essential being, revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This belief can easily create confusion, for in some ways we realize that we are saying that one plus one plus one equals one. But this confusing yet vital truth is important to our faith. It's a mystery to our faith, as some put it. And I've read that it's not a mystery because it's a wall that we're supposed to run up against in desperate attempts to understand. Rather, it's a mystery because it's an ocean we're supposed to swim in as we gain wisdom. It's kind of a poetic support of it. 
God the Father sent the Son and poured out the Spirit so God would be revealed to us. Just because it's a mystery doesn't mean God is trying to confuse us, but we are called to continually learn more about who God is, and that includes not shying away from deep thought like mysteries of our faith. So today, we celebrate Trinity Sunday. I joked a few weeks ago that every sermon can be summarized with John 3.16. So in God's holy irony, our main text for this morning comes from John 3. It is the very familiar passage where Jesus and the religious leader Nicodemus meet to discuss the faith. You've heard me say time and time again, but one more time, and it won't be the last, I highly recommend watching The Chosen TV series. It's completely free, and it follows the disciples as they journey with Jesus, and it is done with amazing quality. They've done an incredible job bringing to life many of the gospel stories, including this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. If you haven't watched any of it, I highly encourage you to check it out. So would you hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 3, and I'm reading from the NIV. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Would you read these next two verses with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you. This is the word of God for the people of God. We all respond. Thanks be to God. Let us pray one more time. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the story that has been preserved for 2,000 years. And um, as we dig into it and what it means, um, that you are a triune God who loves us. God, may we understand this love in new ways. We give you all the glory and honor. We love you, Lord. Amen. When I was studying for this message, I found a fascinating documentary by ESPN 
covering the rock and rollin' Rainbow Man from the 1970s and 80s who would go around to many of the top-level sports and media events wearing a rainbow wig and carrying a banner that says John 3.16. Does anybody remember this guy? We got some chuckles, all right. Even though I have seen his banners before, I had no idea that there was such a controversial history behind him. The spark of it all and the beginning of his prison sentence was well before I was born. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I encourage you to check it out this afternoon. Google the Rainbow Man John 3.16 and you'll see documentaries and blogs about him online. It's a crazily bizarre piece of media history. In my lifetime, Tim Tebow has been the controversial figure with the eye black of John 3.16. And that's the much more talked about story, but it's not as crazy as the rock and roll in Rainbow Man. But anyway, we all know John 3.16. This verse has been used for so long to declare the summary of the gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish have eternal life. The Father, the first person in the Trinity, sent the Son, second person, so we can be born again of the Holy Spirit, the third person. All three persons are present and active in Jesus' message to Nicodemus, and this seems very intentional by Jesus. Not long ago, I was listening to a sermon about the Trinity from Pastor Kevin Myers of Twelve Stone Wesleyan Church based out of Atlanta, Georgia. While he was digging deep into the topic and getting much more into the intricacies of the doctrine that I'll be diving into this morning, he used the following statement as a foundational point of his sermon. He said, we are, cre- we are from a relationship of love and created for a relationship of love. So we're from relationship of love. We know that God has formed us and breathed life into us. We learn from Genesis 1.26 that then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It's also reiterated several times in the New Testament that all things were made from God. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And we see the statement lived out in all of the scriptures. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are perfectly united in holy love. We are from a relationship of love. It's only natural that a God who is relational love in his truest, deepest nature created us for a relationship of love. But humans aren't around for even a full chapter in the Bible before we mess things up. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and ever since then, sin has been present and active in our broken world as we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin had dire consequences to the world around us and to our relationships with others. These consequences can't be understated, but the worst part of sin is that it has severed our relationship of love with our Creator. 
Our sin has so stained us before a holy God that no good deed, selfless act, tremendous accomplishment, or anything else would ever heal the brokenness without divine intervention. So God graciously reached out. And that's what the entire Bible is about after Genesis 3. Jesus taking on flesh absolutely changed the world forever. So the break between our Old and New Testament does make sense. But I've heard it suggested that maybe the break in our scripture should be the first two and a half chapters of Genesis and then everything else. Before the fall, God is creating the world, which he calls good. He creates humans, which he calls very good or good good. And we read about God lovingly walking with the first humans in the cool of the afternoon. It's a beautiful picture of a unified friendship. And then the fall, and relationships are broken. Everything else in Scripture after Genesis 3 is the God who created us out of a relationship of love is seeking to reconcile us who were created for a relationship of love. God works through Noah and Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Joshua, David, the prophets, Mary, and many others, all for the sake of restoring this relationship of love so we may be atoned for or at one with God. The sacrificial system set up in the law of Moses wasn't enough to fulfill God's desired atonement for us. It may have dealt with the guilt of sin and its immediate consequences, but the law did not bring about true change in humanity. God knew that more was needed to restore this relationship of love that we are created for. So Father God sent his Son to take on flesh, dwell among us, preach about repentance, a second birth, and the coming of the kingdom of God, and ultimately die for the sins of the world. Romans 5, 6-11 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some, someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies— we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Though we were utterly helpless, our triune God had a plan to reconcile or to restore us back into a loving relationship. The utterly helpless statement here by Paul is humiliating, but yet so true. We are totally incompetent of solving our own issues, and we often just make them worse. I think of Nicodemus talking with Jesus. He was part of the ruling council for the high priest. He had great authority amongst the Jewish population. Jesus even calls him Israel's teacher. But even he was not qualified to enter into the kingdom of God without being born again. It's a proposition that he thinks is ludicrous, but for being Israel's teacher, this kind of language should not have totally caught off guard Nicodemus. In the Old Testament, God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel, 
saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. In order for us to truly be God's people and for God to be our God, our hearts must be transformed. Our sin, our stubborn and broken hearts of flesh are not going to allow us to live in the way that God has created us for. We all have had the first birth of the flesh, but the second birth, or rebirth from above, is only attainable through the Spirit. It's a change that's supernatural. It can't be explained by any self-help book. No motivational speaker is strong enough to light a fire within you. No halftime speech is going to turn things around. But this rebirth involves an incredible spiritual change of heart. The Father sent the Son so we can be born of the Spirit. And it's this rebirth that brings about atonement. It's, and this is the only grounds for our salvation. Remember, in our sinful state, we are utterly helpless. But through the grace of our Lord, we receive atonement or at one with God. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we know if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Christ's victory absolutely atones for our sin in a way that the Mosaic sacrificial system never could. But God's work in reconciling our relationship of love didn't end on Easter morning. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the second birth of the Holy Spirit offered us to us today leads we Nazarenes to talk about the concept of sanctification that Pastor Matt Archer preached on a couple weeks ago. We are covered by the blood of Christ, but the work of grace and being born again changes us on the inside. It's a holistic change allowing us to be co-workers with God and participating in heavenly works here on earth. As we read earlier in Romans 5.11, God has been working to reconcile us since Genesis 3, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And what can be greater than this, church? We should be joyous. Our hope doesn't remain in any earthly power or scientific discovery or anything else. Rather, we are from a relationship of love, created for a relationship of love. The creator of the universe has gone through all of these lengths to have a personal relationship with each of us. I love the picture painted at the beginning of John's first letter, and while it could lead to a whole other sermon, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. This is what life in the spirit is meant to look like, being forgiven of our sins and not letting them control us anymore, having true friendship with one another, getting along, being truly unified, having genuine friendships, all this flows out of being born again and walking in the light of God. It doesn't mean that there won't be pain or heartache in this world. 
In fact, you might even have more pain because the ways of this broken, sin-altered world are going to fight against you as a citizen of heaven. The darkness will attempt to create shadows in your light. Anyone who has been a Christian for a while can attest to this. But I hope you can also testify to God's continuing work on your life. A work that doesn't end when you ask for forgiveness of your sins and declare Jesus as the Lord of your life. Rather, a work of grace that continues to call you daily to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. I know that I've hit quite a bit this morning. There's been a lot of topics in a short amount of time. I've briefly discussed Trinity and the Atonement, which are huge Christian topics. And that's not to mention topics I've breezed over like sanctification, grace, and sin. When my text is John 3.16, it's not hard to get caught up in all of this. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that these aren't isolated beliefs. So why am I talking about salvation so much on Trinity Sunday? Well, who we believe God is impacts how we understand God relates to us, which impacts how we see ourselves in the light of God, which impacts how we live our daily life, and so on. Understandings of the Trinity or atonement aren't meant to be put away on the bookshelf with antiquated philosophy ideas. Rather, they are living structures for our faith journeys that impact our daily lives. So this morning, my talking of the Trinity or being at one with God because of Christ's victory may have seemed foreign to you. You may have thought that this Trinity talk is just a Christian philosophy meant to confuse the masses. Maybe you thought there's no possible way that there is a God of love who truly wants a relationship with me. If you have been having those thoughts this morning, I'd like to invite you to genuinely ask God those questions. Come and pray and let the Holy Spirit give you a taste of divine love that tears down the barriers that sin has built up. Allow the Spirit to work on your heart and find the rebirthing transformation found in Christ alone. Simply because you are here this morning, it's more likely that you have been born again. Sometime in your past, you have made this decision, you have prayed for God to forgive you of your sins, and that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. I truly rejoice with you that you have made this decision in your past. And I would like to challenge you by asking, how are you, how are you letting God transform you in your daily life? Do you remember what it was like to be utterly helpless in the bondage of your sin? Do you remember what it was like when you were born again in the Spirit? Do you remember your baptism? How are you living into the sweet, joyous fellowship of believers who are cleansed by Jesus' salvation? Would you pray for God to refuel the fire in your heart and remind you of your baptism? So would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are so good to us. Your grace is anew every morning. And as we have celebrated how in your relationship of love you have sought to reconcile us back into living as your children, your image in this fallen world, would you remind us of the truest and deepest joy that is only found in you? Please forgive us of the distractions that we have allowed to turn our eyes away from you, away from your grace, your mercy, your fellowship, 
your love. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit and guide us as we walk in your light. We love you. Amen. If you would like to come to the altar and pray this morning, you are welcome to. We're also going to end in a celebratory song as we celebrate that we are found in the love of God, the triune God who loves us. So let's sing and celebrate together this morning. Would you stand with me?